Hey everyone, it's your GM, Don here. I just want to let you know this episode's going to be a little different because we had Starfinder developer Jason Tondro in attendance. He plays a, a small role that helps out Occam in a, in a moment of need. And uh, afterwards, we spend a little time, good amount of time actually, talking about Starfinder, Paizo, The Gap, Live Free or Die, the AP he's written, and the Devastation arc, which uh, has just come out. So, hope you enjoy. How long have y'all been playing together? Two years? Um, yeah, two years? years. Yeah. Uh, well, this game, no, we've only been playing since January, early, beginning of Sean this year. Okay. Sean and I have, a, a, uh, have two um, Pathfinder 1E podcasts. Okay. And Don and Eric have they started off kind of guessing and then now they're permanent members of those casts over there. So and huh? then he asked us to do this. So we've we've all been playing together about two years. That's fantastic. Yep. Okay. So uh before we get started on this very fun episode, uh I like to do like a little opener questions. Um this one was a little tricky, so <laughs> Maybe more silly than uh, interesting. So, realtors in the packed worlds, do you think they have an obligation to check in with the shadow plane to make sure that nothing spooky is on the other side? <laughs> Only if they're good. <laughs> right. uh, that that would be a that would be a sneaky way for some evil uh, realtors to seduce people into the shadow plane, right? To get like, yeah. It's okay. Some of them are duds. They're not all great. Uh, I just, I was uh, doing some, uh, I don't know what it was. Um, you say that and I start thinking about the disclosure laws about, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody died in the house or something, mm -hmm. realtors have yep. to disclose it. And different yep. states have different laws about that. And so I'm sitting here going, I wonder if planets would have different rules as to how much has to be disclosed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd have to have like, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Like you'd have to have mystics come in. They'd have to check the ethereal plane for ghosts. They'd have to check the shadow plane for rifts. They'd have to check uh, and see if there's any holes into the first world. Like, just yep. go through, cycle through the planes, see if there's anything going to blow this place up eventually. There's a lot of adventure potential in this idea, right? Like, first you've got like the mystic haunted house inspector team that has to go in and check the house for ghosts or or whatever, and then you've got like the adventure where you you're on like a tour or you buy a house and you don't realize that it's, you know, like half in the shadow plane or whatever. And all these towns of Tindalos come through the corners or whatever and jump you. Like there's a, there's a ton of adventure potential there. Are you taking notes, Don? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have to because I'm recording this. Um, recording. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I tell myself, Don, and I still don't hear it till I edit. Yep. Fortunately, my backlog is two episodes rather than uh, 16 months. So I'm... <laughs> it's not that long. Tracy told me a year and four months, so I did a little bit of math. Um... By, the time we, by the time we wrap recording in December, there will oh, be okay. about a year, and, a year and four months worth of backlog to still be wow. released on Eterna. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, so uh, I, tr I keep it a little tight. It's a little uh, nerve-wracking sometimes. Thinking like, oh, is my internet going to crap out? Are we not going to have an episode? But uh, no big deal. But um, anyway, uh, you may recognize a new voice in the pod this week. We have joining us uh, Jason Tondro. 
Hey everybody, it's a real pleasure to be here. It's a it's it's an it's an honor, privilege. I I feel equally honored and privileged. Um so uh so for those that don't know who you are, who don't recognize your name from sure. all the good stuff, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, first of all, I don't expect anybody to recognize me. Like I am not <laughs> like, you know, I'm not Owen Stevens, right? I'm not Jason sure. Bowman. I I am not the big name people, but um but yeah, I'm a developer on Starfinder. I'm I'm incredibly lucky. I love the gig. Uh, I've been able to. I've been doing it for about a year now. Uh, before that, I was an editor at Paizo for about a year and a half. Previous to that, uh, and uh, and I, I. But I've been uh, a, a role playing game writer, a creator for many many years. I've got about forty published credits uh, on different books. Some of them I did myself. Arthur Lives, uh, an urban fantasy a role-playing game that I wrote. Um, I did a bunch of superhero stuff for the Icons line, a lot of stuff through the Feigning Goat games, uh, third, uh, small press. Uh, and uh, but, I, but I came to gaming full-time about two and a half years ago, and, and now I'm on the Star Chamber. And, uh, and I, I mostly developed the Adventure Paths. I work with Jason Keeley, uh, hand in hand. And I've also done a lot of freelancing writing for Paizo over the last few years. So my, my work has appeared in all kinds of stuff. I wrote uh, Pathfinder Adventure Path 151, The Show Must Go On, which is the famous circus AP. Um, uh, and, uh, and I wrote two Starfinder Adventure Paths, one uh, number 18, which is the final volume in Dawn of Flame. And I wrote, uh, I think, volume three, three of the threefold conspiracy i think three or four um and uh and then i wrote i've written stuff for pretty much every book we put out uh i i wrote some stuff for bestiary one and bestiary three and character operations manual and uh all kinds of stuff anyway um <laughs> so yeah so that's what i do and uh yep. and, and it's really fun i love it yep uh you uh I, I ensnared you by uh, yeah. seeing you tweet out to someone about like, oh, uh, have me on. I'll be pretty on your podcast. And I shot my <laughs> shot and here we are. I was I was expecting either uh, being ignored or a gentle, I'm too busy. So thank you so oh. much for coming to hang out. Of course, I, I meant to say I'd be a pretty good guest. I'm not really mm -hmm. all that pretty, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> well, maybe your character is very pretty. We will meet them uh, in a bit. So... <laughs> jumping into it last time uh, after a morning meeting around the campfire it was decided that Akim would dash to the downed Kasatha colony ship to disable the signal jammer and possibly link up with the Triaxian knights on their path to clearing their portion of Grievous Crater at the same time Brasha, Rhapsody, and Addy Star are going to trek south to a structure that is strongly rumored to be the place where the Rananex are being captured manipulated and then sent out to attack the city of Kamora on Triaxis. It is now midday here in the Yukore jungle as the latter group is following a set of tracks left behind by a group Rhapsody had sent to the afterlife. Four hours into the day's march and there hasn't been any sign of any other patrols, no ghouls, no ghosts, no goblins. The trees here are widely spaced apart so visibility is good, the sun filtering through the canopy is nice and occasionally one of you will step on what must have been an ancient cobblestone road but that's about the most interesting thing you see for the next couple hours as you make your way south so uh 
I'm guessing we're going to have Addie in the lead since she's primarily our tracker. Okay. Unless Rasha wants to do it. We know Rhapsody's not finding tracks for anything, so. Okay. Uh, Rasha is in the back fiddling with stuff that he's working on. Um, <laughs> just uh, setting up coupling joints and whatnot. Okay, so Addie Star, your uh, tracker who lives on Triaxis, rolled pretty good. Able to follow the tracks further on. Uh, now it's about 7... Yeah, call it 7 p.m. Uh, local time. Uh, Triaxis being the middle of their centuries-long winter, uh, the sun sets rather quickly, so it is now so creeping along. Dusk starts to fall down and as you go over a rise you see the structure from the map uh the the map that i have posted uh above you've now arrived uh it's a crumbling stone structure much like the one where you squared off against that maracoy solarian but here it's been reinforced with metal plating and construction of an addition that looks like it's markedly more recent than the core bit the large cylindrical portion in the center uh, has an open roof on it and uh it's getting to be a bit dark so those of you that do have dark vision this shouldn't impede you too much but uh give me a perception check as you look out at this structure am i already here boss oh no you're not yet sorry <clears throat> no that, that's fine that's fine just want to know if i should roll so oh. a, yep. a dirty 20. 11 okay. for me okay and i guess i should have the see that one excellent um it's still a nine uh she's good uh rhapsody you you see clearly the uh there are two ghoul sentries kind of walking around this structure uh and above in the open roof area the the framework of this think like a lighthouse if it was sliced in half and the top half discarded time uh, you see on top a uh, another one of those corpse folk that you ran into on Absalom Station. This one's looking uh, a bit beefier, and it's got a wicked-looking cannon in their arms. Okay, if I remember correctly, our plan was for Rhapsody and Addy to hang back and let Rasha do some recon force before mm-hmm. we tried taking on this place. Exactly, yep. So yeah, you have reached the place. You see that there is a rise. Uh, there's a good, let's call it 60 feet uh, from this rise to the uh, the the entrance to this building. Yeah, so she'll just turn to Brasha and be like, all right, darling. My time is up. And he'll... Uh, mm-hmm. don't, he'll don't get caught. He'll, he'll start packing away the stuff he was working on in one of his bags, uh, emptying his pockets of all his jingly bits. Um, and then he he finds uh, one of the rings that the elemental had given him and been like, oh, right, uh, before I forget, I was going to give this to you. Uh, we got it from that uh, elemental we met. Said it was a ring of resistance. Well, that's good. You scared me for a minute. I thought you were going to propose. <laughs> No, uh, Eddie Star, uh, looking from behind Rhapsody, kind of shocked at uh, Rasha handing her a ring, but she uh, she <laughs> recovers nicely and strings up her bow. Nice. He turns right, what's to her and says, "Stats on this ring." Um, it's uh, I it's, it's a plus, plus one to one of your saves. 
plus one to your lowest save. If your lowest saves are tied, you can choose. Uh, no, I have a definite lowest save. It's reflex, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mine was well. Mine was four. Interesting. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, then he'll uh he'll offload his bag o parts to Rhapsody and be like, I uh, don't suppose you're too worried about making excess noises. It is. Well, I don't go anywhere quietly. That's the reason I'm staying here. He will uh, start making his way. Okay. Uh, give me a stealth check as you uh, make your way down this uh, little rise here. It's it's largely dark there outside, but from the inside in the in the holes of this structure, you do see you do see that there are lights coming in. That's a twenty-four. Okay. Uh, you make your way across. There's uh, no no twigs are stepped on. No no rustling of leaves. You. You make your way down, kind of go tree by tree, and uh, you get closer. You see and smell um, for the first time. You were spared this the uh, the first time we the group ran into ran, um, ghouls, but uh, just a putrid stench are coming off of these sentries as they're walking around, just not robotic-like, but they're just very stiff. They'll nod at each other as they cross, and it's, it's very much uh, that scene in Die Hard 2 when John McClane... Uh, finds them hold up. They aren't paying you any mind at all as they just grunt and shuffle around. But uh, yeah, you are uh, 15 feet from the entrance to this structure. Uh, give me another perception check. I can do that. And pretty well. 21. Okay. Uh, you see that um, they are armed with uh, crude staves, uh, no armor to speak of, but you do now see above um, the corpse folk. You see that he is holding just this big fuck you cannon, and uh, he's peering down, he's looking all around. Uh, okay, does not see you. Uh, <laughs> and he's kind of like walking around, you see he's wearing a very kind of stylish, not stylish, but uh embossed stylized metal boots and they're kind of clinking on top of the uh, stone structure above but uh, you hear no other you hear no other uh, sounds from inside you, you hear some uh, actually yeah you, you got good enough you you, uh, you you do hear like soft breathing throughout like it's just like this like droning soft breathing sleeping sound you uh, with your perception you, you can deduce there are beasts inside snoring Okay. Um, and you said there were windows on this, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, spaced out pretty irregularly. There are windows big enough for you to climb through. There are holes in the walls just from uh, loose bricks falling apart. But yeah, there are um, plenty ways of ingress uh, for you if you uh, if you would like or if you just want to look through. Um, yeah, for now, I just want to look through. Okay. And see if I can find any way up to where the corpse folk is walking. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, you have dark vision. So, uh, it, you, you do see, like, this, this rough stone easily scalable. There are plenty of handholds and footholds for someone like you to scale up pretty easily. Rhapsody, uh, wearing the heavy armor of a uh, knight of Iomedi, would have some difficulty. 
Cool, cool. Do you still want to go up um, to the window? Yeah, I'll, I'll go up to the window and okay. see if I can look in at all. Okay. Uh, you look in and you see uh, this main center room is uh, largely open. There is a spiral staircase kind of going alongside the uh, perimeter, the uh, inside wall. Uh, it's it's old, rickety metal. It's goes all the way uh, up to the top of this structure. And uh, as you're looking through the window, I need you to give me another stealth check. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, 17. Okay. Uh, you get up there, and as you're looking, you're looking around the inside. You're looking, you lean, and you knock over uh, a couple stones, and immediately the ghouls, you start here huff, huff, huffing around to you, and uh, they have spotted you. Uh, Rhapsody, from above, you see Rasha has uh, picked his way over, uh, his gotten to there. You, you're watching the movements of the ghouls as they go around. The corpse folk above isn't doing anything at all, but just kind of walking around the outer rim of this structure. Uh, but then you see and give me a perception check. Um, an eight. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you don't hear anything, but uh, Addie hears the rocks, sees the tumble. She gasps and points. They spotted him. And you see the ghouls start to uh, swarm. Uh, the, not swarm, but the two the two ghouls start to converge on Brosh's location. Oh, sort out. We're going in. Okay. And now we're going to cut over to Akim. Akim, uh, we're going to... Uh, rewind just a couple hours it is still late afternoon you are uh hoofing it uh west across this crevice crater towards the kasata ship uh you've already passed the temple that you were able to deduce that was a uh, dragon temple uh to some unknown uh draconic deity but you're uh going through it's it's still well lit the sounds of jungle nature life is uh, all around you as you're going along the the temple has long since uh left you're now back in the jungle the the temple itself was in a large open area the ziggurat like shape with the dragon landing pads but uh, as you're back in the jungle now i need you to give me a perception check i'm not good at skills 19 okay you hear uh something larger than uh, the standard kind of uh, bugs and birds. You he you see, uh, you hear, and you see uh, above you, kind of flying in the between the trees, um, a small flying creature. Give me a... Uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it is a magical creature. Oh, yeah, give me a mysticism check. I know you've got that skill. It's a six. Oh, uh, it's some unknown uh, flying reptilian type creature. Uh, but the, these, this is a creature you haven't, you do know that you haven't seen one of these before. This thing, it's it's small, but it's uh, its wings as it's flapping. It looks like there are little eyeballs underneath them. Oh, great. Does it look like it can catch me? Uh, it's flitting around, so it, it's not really showing any aggression. But uh, it is something you 
haven't seen before. And um, Francis, yeah, what would you be doing about now? Well, Francis is an explorer. Uh, he's mm -hmm. wandering planets looking for new animals to talk to. So uh, he can show up pretty much anywhere. Okay. Uh, well, also showing up out of nowhere, uh, kind of huffing and puffing, but not in like a labored way, uh, comes a young Kasatha male just barreling through the uh, the jungle. Uh, human. Brent, yeah, oh, Francis. you're talking about me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I guess I didn't need to narrate that part. Yeah. <laughs> Akin, uh, you come across someone. Uh, Francis is a young, scrawny-looking uh, human uh, wearing um, Lashunta armor. But over that is just kind of like brown tunic, um, very humble and poor looking. Um, but he's got a big backpack on his back and he looks like a like a camper, like he's out like he's out in the wilderness hiking or something. Um, and he raises his hand and smiles and says, hello. I think Occam's watching this thing following him. Uh, so I'm going to make a reflex save to see if I run into you or not. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a 23, so yeah, I probably don't rock crash into you. Uh, <laughs> but like, uh, I probably like see you and try to decelerate as quick as I can, but I am moving extremely quickly. So I like kind of zip off to the side and grab a tree to like slow down. Just like, Where are you going in such a hurry? Uh, a crashed ship nearby. What are you doing out here? I'm just going where uh, going where nature takes me. But uh, a crashed ship. Are there are are your friends who are hurt? No, this is an old ship, but it's jamming the signal to my ship. There's oh. a lot of undead and stuff out here. Are you sure this is the place nature wants you to be? <laughs> well, nature tends to take me to a lot of hot spots. Um, why don't I? Uh, you mind if I tag along? Maybe I can. Maybe I can help. And he sort of calls uh, his animal. I looked up. I looked up sharpwings. They are animals, which is good because that means I can talk to them. Um, oh, good. <laughs> so uh, he just sort of lifts his arm up, and and the the sharpwing flies down and lands on his shoulder. Don't worry, Claire. He's perfectly nice. He's got four hands, which means he can feed you twice as many treats. Yeah. Think you can keep up. I, I, I figure I'll have to slow down a bit, but it's best not to travel around here alone, I guess. I can outrun everything, but you don't look like you can. Well, I'll try not to be a burden. <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> uh, I'll lead the way. Lead the way. Uh, this way. And I'll I'll slow down. Uh, what's your move speed? Just basic 30 feet. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll slow down. I'll keep at 30. Uh, I might jit off ahead uh, a hundred feet or so at a time just to check ahead. Um, but my move speed's 60 at the moment. Uh, so uh, I do move quickly, but I'll I'll hang back uh, most of the time. So what got you down here in the crater? Oh, I've just been here for a while exploring the planet, talking to the native life. I haven't found any ghouls yet, though. That's uh, that's alarming. It's 
good luck then we've run into a lot of weird crap out here well i've 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 traveled through the jungles of castrovel and many other wilderness places all around the galaxy so you don't have to worry about me quite so much i'll be all right he claps you on the shoulder Ooh, you're big uh, thanks uh we're looking for an Eoxian, so if uh, if you happen mm. to spot one when I don't, uh, let me know. I will. Is he a? Uh, is this person a an enemy of yours, or? Uh, he's wanted. We'll put it that way. Ah, very good. Well, I'll do my best to help. All right. Thanks. Uh, we do need to get to that ship as fast as we can, though. Of course. Uh, there's a. You may not have noticed if you're just wandering by foot, but there's a signal jammer on that ship, and I need to get it shut off. Understood. Well, let's go. No time to waste. And just chug along, then. Okay. Yeah, you uh, travel a couple hours. Uh, no real change in scenery, just kind of dense jungle. Uh, uh, does Claire... Uh, what, what does Claire do? Does she just uh, chill on your shoulder? No, no, she, if, if he's, he's running really fast and often runs up ahead. So Claire probably is flying. Okay. Uh, and, and keeping an eye on him or surveying the jungle, surveying the, the landscape. Uh, I can't, I can't issue commands to her when she's farther away than 50 feet, but, mm -hmm. but I can talk to her. So, um, and she's got a lot of eyes. So if she sees anything, she'll probably fly back and, you know, let me know that okay. it's I want one of those in real life. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> uh, yeah, you go for uh, an hour. You go for two hours. Uh, Claire doesn't really see much of anything, but uh, plenty of flying insects and small other flying critters. If uh, if she gets hungry, maybe she swoops and gets those. But you're yep. pretty well left alone. Uh, you know, Afternoon goes to evening, goes to dusk, and it does start to get dark out. Um, give me a perception check uh, in this second hour of travel. Both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, all three. If uh, if if you are uh, allowed to use uh, Claire's perception. Uh, I, I'll just. I don't. My perception is pretty good. I'll just roll. Right. Okay. I got a fifteen. Okay. Uh, twenty-seven. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'd say so. Um. Do you have all those eyes or does she? Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, uh, in, in this second hour, you're moving a little bit slower, but uh, even from this distance, you do see that there is a large concentration of foliage up ahead. Uh, large vines, big crawling trees going way up, but they're all kind of clumped around this large structure. And you see in uh, coming up ahead is... Uh, a very big blocky shape kind of jutting out of the ground, but completely overgrown with uh, vegetation. Okay. Uh, I will turn to the Kasothan, and I presume I've asked her name at some point, so I know what to call you. Um, oh, yeah, I would have, uh, uh, sorry, I would have introduced myself. Uh, I'm Akim. Uh, um, very good. And he wears a full um, helmet. Uh, if you've ever played Borderlands 2, it's kind of like looks like Zero's helmet, except the top part can come away and still cover his face. Okay. Well, Occam, 
do we have time for me to work some magic to possibly detect hazards uh, around us and in, in, in the tower? Uh, yeah. I'm going to cast uh, Scan Environment. Uh, okay. Which I, I analyze the naturally occurring environment in the area, learning the state of the atmosphere, biomes, and gravity. That's all. That's easy stuff. I didn't need that. Um, <laughs> but uh, if I concentrate, I can learn additional stuff. So first, uh, if I concentrate for one minute, I forecast the weather. Uh-huh. Uh, but if I, for five minutes, I'll learn, um, uh, what I really need is 10 minutes. Learn if anything in the area presents an environmental hazard, including cold or heat dangers, radiation, smoke effects, or anything underwater, and how far away these dangers are. Okay. Um, so just going down the line, uh, clear weather through the night. Uh, I don't know the exact, uh, distance uh, or length of time, but, uh, a storm is, is uh, a Bruin uh, not too far away? You feel like this area is going to be pelted by a heavy storm in two days. Uh, okay. Uh, oxygen, gravity, all good. As yep. far as environmental dangers, uh, yep. there are um, there are foraging creatures around. Small little. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else knows this animal in real life. The moon, uh, a, a small uh, hooved, like a I think a a halfling version of a deer uh sure. but they don't really present any sort of danger there are uh, a fair few of them um Occam, you know as he's casting this spell and i ask this of all my spell casters what does it look like when you're casting this spell in particular uh he just he looks like he's sort of communing with nature right so mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, he, he's kind of meditating um but but to get some sort of magical effect there's probably you know, some kind of green energy mm. that that sort of flows out of him and and he seems to and sort of drifts around the trees and all over the ground and mm. uh you know, so he's he's communing with nature. His eyes are closed and he's meditating. Very nice. Akam, you see this magic happen and uh you, you see, you know, sometimes you'll see like a wisp of this green magic swirl around uh, a small creature and you recognize it as one of the small beasts that you feasted upon last night. So, um, uh, you, you see this and, uh, Francis, uh, with your, your magic detection in that 10 minutes, they don't really present any danger. There are a lot of them, but they are largely peaceful. The, uh, the greenery around doesn't present any malice. You don't detect that, um, this tree, any of these trees are going to rise up and wallop you. It's just a very <laughs> overgrown, overran cool. area. Um, but you do detect that there is a large, I don't know if this entails, I'll allow it. Uh, you do detect that there's a very not natural structure within all of this wrapped around yeah. greenery. It, no radiation that I can detect? Uh, no, no. Thanks for clearing. No, no radiation to speak of, uh, other than the natural solar radiation. Sweet. Uh, in this game is mean. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. I've been, I've been hesitant to throw it at people <laughs> just yet. Uh, I think once we get out of this chapter and we get into space, I'm going to have a lot of fun, but for now I'm like this, this, this started out as a, uh, a uh, little. It started out as a side story to the main quest, and with COVID yeah. and the group falling apart, the side quest has become the main quest. So no, this is just uh, no no radiation just yet. You guys are all <laughs> safe from that that nastiness. 
Well, I will, uh, when my spell ends, I will open my eyes and I will smile at Occam and I will say, um, well, I don't sense the, any natural hazards. And if it's a crashed ship, there's no radiation. So the, that's, that's good. Um, I think we're, I think we're, I think we're, uh, safe to explore. All right. Uh, just in case, uh, and he'll like kind of stretch out a little bit and you'll see, uh, his body starts to, um, slightly distort as if, uh, there were some sort of refractive surface in front of him, although there is obviously not. Uh, and that's me activating my elemental defense. Okay. Okay. And what is your elemental defense again? 5% mischance. That's, that's right. Okay. So yeah, uh, you both, you know, start you know, flexing your magic powers at each other. Um, in, in, in this, in, in our game, we, uh, we ported over, um, Sean's character, Akim, um, uh, we we got time. Tell me tell let tell Jason a little bit about uh, the class because uh, it, it's kind of interesting and I want to. Uh, there's a port of Pathfinder One E's Kineticist on Giant in the Playground that makes it compatible sure. with Starfinder. Sure. It's a relatively simple conversion, um, and I'm also using the Chrono Kineticist element or time element from uh, Purple Duck Games, I believe it is. Let me double check cool. that. It is. Yep purple duck nice. i looked it up last time uh and the reason i br asked him to expand a little more is i don't think his magic would show up as any form of nature it's uh sure. uh so yeah you guys are flexing your magic skills at each other you don't detect um uh, no no other life other than these little things uh you look around akim you don't have dark vision no i have a flashlight <laughs> okay uh I got does francis yeah, I have, I have dark vision in my armor. Okay, uh, very good. Um, Francis, you see, you know, you, you're pouring over, and some of your magic picked up on this. You do see, like, around this large structure, um, very large structure. In fact, it is a it is a starship. Uh, you know, you look closer, you are a traveler. It's it's of an unknown style that you're used to. Uh, it's definitely yeah. not anything from the packed worlds, but uh, you do you do as you're kind of walking around and communing with nature and all that, you do see like there is an access hatch kind of exposed. And okay. um, Occam, if you're going up with him and you have your flashlight out, eventually you see this as well, that uh, this hatch has um, um, uh, a display and the display is cracked. Uh, and you see that there have been attempts to... Um, <laughs> pry and cut into this door to no avail this thing is uh sealed up the first thing i'll try and do is fix the um the panel if i can because if i can just gain access that way uh okay i won't have to sit here for however long it takes for a laser to cut a tiny hole in this door mm -hmm. okay so um how are you going to access this panel uh i'm going to use my kinetic uh, healing. Okay. Uh, my, my time healing. Okay, yeah, go for it. Regressive healing, that's what it's called. And it's my blast damage, which is 2d4 plus 5. Okay. Come here, d4s. That's gonna be 6 plus 5 is 11 points of damage. 
to damage healed. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's going to take you a, a couple blasts of this. Uh, okay, no, I do I need to the... mark those. I have to take the burn for it. Um, six, you said. That it'll yeah, it'll only take two uh, two blasts of this. Well, eleven total. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, it, yeah, it'll just take. Uh... Wait, so eleven is your total for one blast? Yes. Okay, then it was ten. So yeah, you uh, okay. you were able to get it in one blast. And uh, why don't you kind of describe what it looks like when you heal these items? Uh, the refraction. Uh, I think when I heal things, there's not really a refraction. It just looks like things are going in reverse. Uh, things that are touching it, dust, leaves, vines, whatever, would probably shift sort of a little bit oddly, like a video playing in reverse. But <laughs> only the thing I'm actually touching is affected in a meaningful way. So, like, the cracks across the screen unspread uh, if, uh, if there were like sparking bits or pieces that fell off or shot away they kind of like materialize and and return undamaging themselves oxidation uh reverses things like that okay uh yeah that's what happens this panel uh there, th this had no overgrowth at all but the the deep gouges the uh the uh the, the spider the spider web like cracks all kind of fade away and it looks nice shiny and new um it is still unpowered though um and i feel like this will be an easy dc but just so we get some more dice rolling how about give, everyone give me a uh computer check or intelligence i got a net 20 okay <laughs> uh 23 okay so did you, did you both both did of you, you roll as well yes yeah he he smashed it but i might as well get some oh, dice from no you're fine uh, I don't have computers because I'm, but I also rolled a twenty, so my total is twenty-one. Okay, all right. So um, this thing, uh, judging, you kind of maybe have already intuited this, but the uh, the overgrowth, the uh, the amount of damage done here, this thing has been so long that all power is depleted. The reason why yeah. you sensed no radiation was because uh, half lives. Um, <laughs> there right. is this thing is just dead as a hammer. Um, so, Akim, if uh, you or uh, Francis, if you have engineering or anything magic-y that can do that, um, give me an engineering check to install, I mean, kind of like pop open the panel. It's it's fully, fully healed and capable, but it's still not powered. But um, with those computers checks, you know that it just needs a simple battery plugged in. Do you have more than a plus one in engineering? I have a battery. <laughs> uh, I can that... plug in a battery if it's that easy, uh, but yep. I'm afraid I'm, I'm a doctor, but I'm not an engineer. Okay. Well, I'll roll my engineering. If I hurt it, I'll fix it again to open it up. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, 19. Yeah. Yeah. It, you're, you're able to do it just fine. This uh, pristine panel slides, uh, slides right open. No, no wear and tear. And you're able to uh, put a battery in it. It lights up. And well uh, yeah, uh, power panel. That that little panel turns on, and uh, it does have a palm print. Well, I don't suppose this will work, but I can try, and I'll put my hand on it. It registers your hand immediately, but this this door creaks and groans and screams and slides slowly open, like like a dueling sword on a chalkboard. And we're gonna jump over to the other group. 
Sure. Nice. Give me two seconds. I got a truffle in my mouth. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's fine. I will. I will narrate the other bits. Uh, best, Rhapsody's best, best excuse ever, by the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rhapsody is chewing on a truffle as two ghouls uh, start to surround um, Rasha. But before that, I'm going to let uh, Addy get a uh, surprise attack off. And she is just going to shoot one. She got a nat 20. Um, of course, I did not bring out my critical hit. Let's see what she does on <laughs> that first one. I'll say the one on the left. I haven't shuffled these in weeks. <laughs> Boom, headshot. Uh, the target is staggered for one round. So an arrow uh, flies from her battle bow and uh, pierces this ghoul right in the head doing double damage. This may just bring it down outright, actually. <laughs> yes, kills it outright. Uh, one shot, one kill. One shot, one kill, straight through the head. Brasha, uh, this thing, uh, <laughs> ghoul, this disgusting, smelly ghoul collapses next to you. And uh, I'm gonna need initiative from everyone. And uh, just post them in there, of course. And Addie. Whoa, Eddie is not gonna be too much ahead of you, Rhapsody. Well, she's at least got the advantage of she's a ranged fighter. Um, That's right. I have a movement speed of 25. Yes. Um, okay, so first up. I'm used, uh, I'm used to Occam being with me and just popping portals for me to uh, walk through. <laughs> yep, gonna have to do things uh, analog, which Rhapsody generally likes. Uh, she yeah. likes old school. But uh, this is a little inconvenient. But uh, Rasha, a, a ghoul just fell dead next to you. You see an arrow. Uh, you can piece things together. But this other ghoul is coming around the other side. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, sorry, it's been a while since combat. You're good. Yeah, I. Uh, well, I'll vamp a bit. So uh, <laughs> the uh, the first uh, iteration of this podcast, I was just a player. And it was a lot of uh, less than stellar role play, very little combat. So when I took things over with the first group, I was like, we must have combat almost every other episode. And uh, that kind of carried over here until I realized, like, I don't I don't need combat all the time. Like, yeah, the, and, yeah. and these guys are such good role players, whereas the other ones were a little uh, much greener. That was the kind of their first ever TTRPG experience yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh, you guys, you guys like fighting? We'll fight. So uh, I, I eased up on the constant encounters. So uh, when you yeah, when you've got a long group that's been playing together for a long time, like you've got here, yeah, you could just put the characters in the starship galley for two hours, and they'll just talk all night, and everyone has a good time. You know? Basically, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's been great. So, um, Rasha, you good? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he sees these two round up on him, and he's like, "Oh, come on, guys, can't we be friends?" And then sees one of them just get pieced and goes, "Well, friend," and uh, he's kind of like gesturing with one hand, uh, and then uh, ejects one of the smoke grenades from his uh, quick ejects. Uh, oh, nice! Uh, yeah. Quick sheath. Quick sheath. That's what it was called. Um, and just drops it on himself. What? Okay. Uh, oh, okay. I just yeah. thought you just fragged yourself. Uh, 
He, he pulls a smoke grenade out of it. Uh, drops it. Okay, uh, so quick action, draw it. Standard action. Uh, I'll, I'll say free action to drop it. Uh, maybe uh, stretching the bounds of what uh, grenades actually do, but uh, uh, Swift... I'll call it a move because you can't do more than that. So, um... Uh, yeah, other than that, I'm going to uh, just try to uh, navigate around this school using his horrid stench as a guide and uh, <laughs> get back to kind of around where Addy and Rhapsody are. So you're going to go back up the hill. Okay, so are you going to uh, stealth or is this just a move action to move? Uh, I'll stealth at least for now. Okay. Oh, very nice. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you move, you get up there. Uh, next up is that ghoul, and it's uh, stumbling around, and ghouls don't breathe. Uh, and Jason, if I have anything wrong, please feel free to correct me. I, I have oh, a decent... Oh. I, I will never do that, no. Uh, okay. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, I'm going to say they don't breathe. Undead, don't breathe. Not, But they can't see for anything right now. Okay, yeah, so it is stumbling in the cloud and it's still it's going to move toward oh let me see perception. Okay. Uh no. It does not it does not hear you or see you move through the smoke and it goes over and it uh, collides with its uh its its buddy. So move action and then move action again is gonna try to get out and it's going to get out of the smoke. There's enough room for them to do that, and uh he'll see you it will see you scampering up the hill. Uh so do you have a weapon out, Brasha? Uh, not currently. Okay, well, as part of that move action up the hill, if you want to draw a weapon, so it's stated. Hmm, no, not yet. Fair enough, okay. Next up uh, is from above that uh, that sick-looking uh, corpse folk holding that cannon uh, sees you and is going to uh, fire a shot at you. Oh, does a 17 hit your EAC? Meets. Okay. Minimum damage, three, four points of uh, acid comes out of this cannon and hits you right in the back as you're running up. Now, this thing, uh, you don't see this exactly, but um, he is going to uh, click his heels together and start running down the wall. Next up is Addy. She is going to take two shots at the ghoul. And the way the way I flavor Addy's uh, double shot is uh, double attack is uh, two arrows at once, Legolas style. Oh no. Um, uh, both hit, actually. Uh, <laughs> they have such a low ACs, there's no armor on these things. Two arrows go into each of what used to be this thing's lungs and it falls down dead. And that is her. Last in the round is uh, Rhapsody. Okay, I'm going to ask you a ridiculous question. What's up? We're up on this hill, right? Uh-huh. In, in this jungle where there's a lot of humidity and mud and shit like that. What are yeah. the odds that I can throw my shield on the ground and sled down that fucking hill instead of walking my speed? I like it. Um, Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah, that that's good. I mean, what do you want me to roll is what I do. Oh, 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 uh, give me an athletics check to, to, you know, brace yourself against this so you don't just go tumbling down. But you are a heavy gal. Your shield is a heavy gal. 
I don't see why not. And I said, like, you know, this area is, uh, the trees are pretty right. widely spaced apart, so it's not going to be. A 14. Yeah, yeah, I'll allow. It's it's a, it's not very fast. You know, you're having to do that thing uh, when you're uh, sledding down a hill where you're like, you put your weight into it to, to get that momentum back. But yeah, you get all the way down in one movement. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seven foot tall. I got a lot of weight to put into it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I would like to do is because yeah. I want it down this hill so that I can smite that son of a bitch with a cannon. <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, you get down, you stand back up, um, and that'll, you know, I'll call that two move actions to be down there uh, to get yeah, back that, up and read. But that's a lot quicker way down than walking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now, yeah, your 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 uh, shield. Now, you know, tell the listeners and Jason uh, what you look like right now. Mm. Well, Rhapsody is obsessed with uh, the bits of history that have come through about Iomede and the knights that originally uh, followed her. So she has her armor, shield, all her equipment specifically made to look very archaic. Um, So while everybody else is running around looking all fancy and high-tech, uh, she she looks like she stepped out of a history book in, in a lot of ways. She is seven foot tall. Uh, she has like espresso brown hair and eyes, and she ke- keeps the sides and back of her head shaved, and she has the line tattoo on one side of her head as it is Iomedes' sacred animal. Right. And of course, she's android, so you see the red veins under her skin uh, that are actually electronic conduits <laughs> and such. So Nice. So yeah, you are up. Uh, sword drawn. Your shield is uh, not as pretty as the rest of your armor. It is covered in mud. It looks like... I can clean it later. I know you can. I'm just saying, yeah, but you definitely <laughs> muddied it up. Uh, so that was you. Uh, yeah. Uh, round two top of the round brasha uh you you and rhapsody are about kind of like uh uh, side by side at this point uh how far away is this corpse folk uh he is still 20 feet up on the wall you turn you turn and see not that facing really matters in starfinder but you see him uh coming down the the wall he's still about 20 feet up okay uh and how far is the wall from me at this point I can't have gotten that far from it. Not at all. 30. It's about 30 feet away. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, you were at the wall, so you moved 30 feet out. So I don't know uh, Pythagorean theorem as much as I used to, but uh, <laughs> he's got some height on you. Uh, square to 50. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so he'll just uh, about face. Uh, mm-hmm. Pull out his rotating pistol. Okay. I think that has. Oh, that doesn't have enough range. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I have no range. Um. I'm totally oh. not telling you to do this, Brasha, but Karina's still uh, strapped to my back. <laughs> Karina doesn't have range either. She's a straight sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying oh. that gun that Rhapsody won't let you use because Akam told her not to, you could easily yank it off her back. <laughs> um, 
drawing a weapon is part of a move action, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um Then yeah, I'm gonna I'll pull my rotating pistol. Okay. Uh and kind of uh as I'm running away from the wall, I see Rhapsody slide down and I kind of do that thing where one hand grabs her shoulder and I kind of like pivot around her to turn around. Nice. Okay. Um pull out my rotating pistol and I am gonna clever attack this bad boy as I run towards him. Okay. And uh, I should um, say if you're outside of uh one range increment, it's only a minus two to your attack. Okay. Uh I can get back to within okay. range <laughs> with my move at least. Okay. Um so bluff check because I know how to do these. Okay. Uh. Um I'm gonna use my thing to re-roll that. Uh, your envoy improvisation? No, it's um. The ability. Oh, I. Instead of using the d6 on top of it, I can re-roll it. Gotcha. And I can't think of what that's called. Jason, envoy lover. Oh, I I don't recall. No, I. Uh, okay, no, you. I I. I, I, I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a secret here. Uh, <laughs> whenever we were working in the Star Chamber, uh, we had a rule that I called Owen's Law, which is when <laughs> the editors would come to us and they would ask us like, "How do you? What is this rule?" And the answer is always, "Look it up." Like Owen uh, would yeah. always tell us this: "Look it up." Even if you think that you know it, even if you have the rule memorized, yep. look it up. So no, I would look it up. <laughs> okay. it, is, it is an expertise talent. Uh, for having expertise in bluff. That's... Um, okay. Yes. Instead Looking at it now, adding actually. a d6 onto it, I can just re-roll mm -hmm. it. Gotcha. Oh, and I made it worse. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, um, it's, it's it's a very... You know, what's your total? So 11. You might have... And the, uh, the uh, DC, if I remember, is D, uh, 10 plus one and a half times CR. Uh, 15 plus one and a half times CR or yeah, 10 plus fail. sense motive. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a nat one. Okay. Yeah. He's a little beefier than your standard uh, undead fella. So yeah, your, uh, your clever attack did not, or uh... clever attack. Yeah. Clever attack did not go off, but go ahead and roll your uh, standard attack. Yeah. Uh, that hopefully will hit. Dirty 20. Oh, yeah. Duck, 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 duck. There my defense. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of just try and throw him off by doing the about face around Rhapsody. Okay. Um, but I still have to take a couple more steps towards him before I'm actually in range, so it's not too, it's not too much of throwing him off, and minimum damage puts me at six. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Fire minimum damage. Shot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a uh, solid hit. Okay. You are good. Next up is that guy. He is uh, going to continue running down the the wall, and uh, he's got his gun, his cannon still out, and he's just going to uh, movement. Yeah. Twenty feet down onto the ground, and. Uh, Oh, you know what? 
two movements. So yeah, so he's going to do it and then uh, get onto the ground and adjust himself. And that's all he can do. That's two move actions. So uh, don't eat those ghouls. Uh, Addy. She is uh, going to stay above and she's going to kind of juke to the left a little bit. And she's just going to fire one arrow at this corpse folk. And uh, you know what? She's going to turn, uh, not turn on deadly aim. I'm used to saying it like Pathfinder. Uh, she has deadly aim. So she is going to uh, miss. <laughs> uh she, she goes to shoot, it goes wide, and just the arrow explodes on the stone wall behind him. Uh, Rhapsody, you're up. This thing is 30 feet away from you. It's five feet. I can charge. Uh, yes. Can I activate my smite before I charge? Uh, yeah. Because uh, I know how smite works uh, for, you know, 1E, but when we converted it, I don't think we set what kind of action It's it It's the same. What, yeah, whatever it is in that. Yeah, so, we, uh, yeah, this one... If you thought the chronokineticist was a uh, uh, homebrew nonsense, so, the uh, the hack job I did on this paladin is uh, <laughs> something to behold. So then, then yeah, uh, we're going to activate Smite and charge okay. forward with Forte, which is her analog sword. Okay. And then I have to roll dice. Okay, here we go. Uh, does an 18 hit its uh, KAC? I just want to double check charge. Uh, single attack at a minus two. Uh, was that with the minus two? Did you already know that? Yes. Yes, okay. I already know that. Very so. good. No, uh, yeah, that 18, yeah, smashes its KAC. Go ahead and roll damage. Uh, and then your smite damage. Well, smite just adds to the damage. That's what I meant, yeah. Damage. Yep. All right, so. Also, you a smite is... die from some other game. That's, uh, my sword is a D8. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's 14 damage. Okay. Um, very good. Yeah, you, uh, you swipe across this thing, and, uh, and, uh, it winces in pain, and I'm gonna zoom over to the other group. So, Akim. Yee. You have, uh, gained access to this, uh, ship the ship door grinds and creaks and just, just like my computer chair right now uh screams <laughs> open and uh you see uh you can't see much but with the aid of your flashlight you see within it's a completely uh bridge compartment to this vessel you see uh workstation areas uh interspersed around you see uh there's not there's no cobwebs there's no uh no uh, give me a perception check, both of you, as you guys peer into this thing. I guess I should, you know, do this by the the book. Sure. Twelve. Okay. Uh, four, uh, thirteen. Okay. Uh, yeah, you don't see any signs of life within. Uh, there is dust all over, but there isn't. Uh, you don't see footprints in the dust. You don't see movement. Uh, in fact, uh, when you open it, it's kind of like a pressure. It, it was a pressurized vessel so you do like sure. there's a hiss as it uh as air is exchanged and uh, you make your way in flashlight and dark vision at the ready you see uh, a captain's chair uh very old make um i'm not even gonna go for a role here uh akim you are a kasatha you were born and raised on idari uh yeah. you recognize this as uh kasatha style but nice. it is ancient uh nothing like it before 
very, very old ship. Uh, very, very old design. Uh, very poor lumbar support in these chairs. And it's <laughs> just, uh, you, you, you two are making your footsteps, the first footsteps in a very long time. Is Claire coming in with you? So uh, as I step in, I'm going to actually tell, ask Claire, keep an eye out, won't you? And just make a noise if you see something. And I'm going to leave her at the door. Okay. Yeah, so okay, yeah, she'll go around. And, very good. Yep. Yeah, yeah, just kind of swooping around. Uh, it would be so cool to see how these things flew with those. And then, and then I'll creep in behind, mm-hmm. uh, behind the big guy and mm-hmm. um, uh, just kind of take a look around. Uh, I probably don't recognize it as Kasafin. I don't have culture or... It just looks very strange to me. Yes. Yep. I'm going to immediately uh, set to looking for this signal jammer. Uh, I'll look for anything that looks out of place first uh, in terms of uh, tech, anything that uh, is a bit odd for the ship, but then I'll go after its computer systems. Okay. Yeah. Uh, make your way across. Nothing really seems out of the ordinary. There are no bodies uh, laying around. There's no uh, power going in anywhere. But yeah, you get to a, a computer terminal. You're uh, able to jack in. And um... wait, uh, if I say this out loud, yep. if the door was sealed, but there's no bodies, where's the crew? They probably left locked the ship up and never returned. Oh. I said there's undead out here and this ship's likely been here for well, if the signs of everything else we found in this crater are accurate, at least a couple hundred years. Would you think that you can find your jammer? I'm hoping so. It's going to be hell getting into that uh that fort or whatever the hell the the local uh, monster lord guy whatever uh, <laughs> has got without my ship. Um, I I'll I'll take a look around with, my, with perception. I don't I don't know what a jammer would look like, so I don't really know what I'm looking for. But I'll try. Okay. I'm not sure that I would know exactly what it looks like. I'm more of a I'm more of a make radio better person, not make it worse. <laughs> Okay, well, that's uh, a good, I should. That's a good attitude to have. Making things better uh, is uh, that's the way we should live, my friend. Stop on the ship. Yes. Hopefully, we can find it and turn it off. Okay, Akam, you were going to uh, jack in. You're going to need. Uh, there are. You are uh, familiar uh, familiar enough with computer systems and all that. You see, um, though this is old, it's not so old that you don't recognize. Uh, like an emergency battery port you can you know plug in an, another battery if you have one uh you're able to uh, fire it up it takes takes a yes. good bit uh francis meanwhile is is this, you kind of hear you hear uh 90s dial-up power-up <laughs> sounds uh right. you're looking yeah. around you can't really make uh, uh head or tails out of anything here uh yeah. all of the language is in uh what languages do you speak actually i guess i should uh, ask he's... He speaks uh, Castrovalian, uh, but but he doesn't speak Kasav. Okay. Yep. Yeah, no, you wouldn't recognize uh, any of the the, uh, the panels. Uh, some yeah. of them are kind of universal, like uh, high high voltage is kind of. I'll say it's universal. Uh, yeah. Right. But yeah. <laughs> you're uh, you're unable to really make 
uh, heads or tails of this, but uh, you're, you're looking around. Nothing from Claire uh, and Occam as you uh, boot this up. It's it's in old Kasafan. It's a uh, it's a dialect you know from uh, just it's 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 very dated tech. It's uh, so the the language being used isn't at all similar to the kind of old taxi. Sorry, ye old space taxi. Oh yes, ye old space. <laughs> So yeah, uh, but you do you are able to to decipher it with no with very little difficulty. It may be uh, just n- none of the vernacular being used now is kind of represented, but it's just old, very technical. Uh, you do see that the power is completely drained. It does say that it does say that the emergency uh, beacon, which is on a separate power source, is at the uh, uh, the. Let me make sure I do my things right. The four of the ship. That's the front, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to guess that the beacon has been changed to be the jammer, so I'm going to look for that. Okay, yeah. Uh, it is, uh, you're going to have to, uh, you won't need to repair anything, but you'll kind of need to uh, either use spares or kind of like plug in and plug out uh any batteries to power up the doors? Yeah, I've I've got a battery uh, that I, I can use. I've, I've got like about a dozen survival gizmos, all of which have batteries, so I can okay. I can battery out of any of those if we need to. All right. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're able to uh, make your way through uh, this ship. It's it's barren. There are there's no damage from that you can see from the from the ship uh, also in your uh, computer search you didn't find any sort of captain's logs it looks like almost all data was purged from here uh it is it is they did like a system wipe but uh the beacon was still activated so you're making your way through you go through um uh, an engineering station so the the bridge of the ship was kind of in the center kind of yeah uh, death uh, star destroyer e um, you uh, you piece your piece your way through the halls. Nothing gets there. Uh, you get to the front of the the fore of the ship. Uh, plug in, open up. Uh, yeah. Before before I leave him behind, like I don't think we should split up in here, just in case there's like. Oh, for sure. Second. I'm I'm following you. I'm yeah. Following you. Oh yeah. I kind of yeah. I kind of went with that assumption as well. Sorry. Yeah. 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 It looks like they knew they were coming back. Everything's been purged, wiped. There's no supplies left. Wonder what happened to the ship that they couldn't keep it. But they left a beacon on in the desperate hope that someone would hear them. Suppose it's too long ago to know. Maybe there'll be something up by the beacon. Did you... Have you you said in character that this is a Kasothan ship? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, if I okay. didn't mention it before, by the time we got to it, okay. I would have mentioned. Have you you said that you've seen undead? Have are any of them four armed? Uh, no, the only four armed thing any of us have run into so far was alive, a Shobat. So, at least so the crew, uh, at least so far as you've seen, escaped being made into these creatures. That's good, maybe. I wonder what happened to them. A mystery. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, let's we find have... that beacon. 
a lot of things pressing, so. Indeed. No, you're just here, I guess, uh, looking around, and I appreciate the help. Oh, I'm happy to. I've got a, I've got a beacon as well, like a you know flashlight beacon thing. Since I, uh, I'll, I'll, which I will also have out just to help illuminate more of the interior for, uh, for Occam. Thanks. Of course. Uh, and if it makes a difference, Karina uh, in my helmet has one higher computer check than I do. So, okay, yeah, uh, no, yeah, you haven't really. It's all just been pretty uh, mundane. Just uh, doors need power. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're good with the computer thing, but good to keep reminding me when we do run into more computers, though. So I do make sure I give you that bonus. So yeah, uh, your uh, personal AI is at the ready, and she's uh, actually, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. So uh, does she speak out loud? She can. Uh, I haven't told her not to since okay. we're not the stealthing. Okay. Uh, so she is still, re- she is remaining largely silent. Um, she is kind of like trying to like run scans. She isn't able to detect anything. Uh, the, uh, the other AI that you have rattling around in that helmet of yours, the Starfinder Lodge AI that you retrieved. Yeah, uh, jerk. Doesn't have a name. We're not calling him jerk. Uh, <laughs> he is chiming up, and he he will say, "Out." Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I said what J E R uh, or J three R C is fine. I will. Uh, it's actually not your AI, so I will consider it. Uh, <laughs> but no, that's actually much better than uh, any dumb little. Uh, number letter thing I was going to come up with. So yeah, you make your way through uh, and he's just like, wow, I don't recognize any of this. This is amazing. Where is this from? Itari. And he's saying this out loud. So uh, Francis, you're <laughs> hearing another voice coming outside of Occam's okay. uh, helmet. That's all right. We all need companionship. I have a flying bird with a million <laughs> eyes. He's got an AI. It's a- yeah. At two at the moment. We all we all get lonely. Like I get it. You know, you don't have to. No, you don't have to. Don't have to defend yourself to me. I wasn't. Ah, <laughs> oh, a friend. Who are you, sir? I'm Francis. Who are you? I'm. Sisad. Are you a person, Sisad? I am the Starfinder Lodge virtual intelligence assistant for the the, the upcoming Triaxis Lodge. I wasn't given a designation. I was basically put on uh, base operations, but do you want to join the Starfinders? Oh, well, that's <laughs> a very kind <laughs> offer. Can I think about it? Of course. I've waited so many years. What's a couple <laughs> more hours? <laughs> very good. We'll uh, we'll keep trying to find this beacon so that we can help yep. him get his shit fixed. Yep. Uh, yeah, you get to the front of the ship. You make your way through door after door. Uh, it kind of serpentines around s- standard starship design, and you get to the front. The suddenly it opens up to uh, kind of a twilight view. Looking mm-hmm. out, you you are in the, the uh, forward view of this ship. Okay. Um, but you see that there are solar panels all along these uh, windows. You look. Uh, probably should have had a check for that but um (laughs) uh feeding into uh some big cables are leading to the center of this room and a uh a uh 
bit of a doohickey contraption is slowly blinking in the center thing. So I think they set up these solar panels to keep the beacon running even when the ship is out of power. Looks like it. It's clever. It doesn't seem to be way at night, though, so they're efficient. And the battery cells are probably well stocked. Uh, and I'm going to look for battery cells to see if uh, they can be easily removed. Uh, you're looking for battery cells on the device? Uh, wherever the cables are going, because unless yep. it's a yeah, ca- power feed, they're going to feed into batteries. Uh, yeah, so there are uh, heavy cables going from the, the viewport window. That uh, the, the foliage is grown around, but it's not completely covering. But from these panel lining goes to the center here, and it's just cables into this thing. And you do look at it. Uh, you do see that there are battery cells in this. Okay. So we can remove these. That'll power it down. Uh, is there a jack into this? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I want to jack in and see if it's expressly made to jam signals or if it's possible to cr- t- just turn it into a normal, like, uh, here's a location beacon. Yeah, give me a computer check. Uh, 14. Is that including Karina's plus one? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, you are able to, it's, it's pretty mundane thing. There aren't really firewalls like there, uh, like there are now, or there weren't firewalls like there are now. So yeah, you're able to bypass it. No problem. You slam right through this. And, uh, you do see that, that there are a few settings of, uh, of keep away of emergency. And then there's one, uh, just to, uh, mask. I think maybe the people who are running from something. Oh. They purposefully were masking their own location. Mm. It's hella powerful, though. It's covering the whole crater. Do you think that you can turn it off? Yeah, I've got the settings here. I'd like to be able to return to this and harvest what I can from it later. Uh, And I'll... uh, and I'll set it to, um, I'll try and get it to set to, uh, an underground frequency that I can attune to later if possible, but basically just a, uh, a location beacon. So kind of like in, in all the uh, newer Batman games, you're going to lock down the exact frequency. I, I guess I haven't played any of the Batman games. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, my, my references uh, fall flat sometimes. No worries at all. Yeah, give me one more computer check as you're fiddling around here. It won't be too difficult, but uh, just yeah, so I'm not exactly. just letting you do What's 14. that? Okay, 14. yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. You're able to do it. You're able to suppress it just so, and uh, you're able to suppress it down. And, and all of a sudden, like uh, like your, your, your helmet, your HUD, heads-up display. It took me a second. Uh, your heads-up display uh, kind of lights up that it now has signal and uh you start like getting messages in and uh francis if you have any kind of techie things that are typically connected to any sort of infosphere uh they start kind of you're getting every uh uh space twitter notification that you missed (laughs) where you came into the jungle uh 
My Karina. Phone, like, his, his phone starts buzzing. I'm like, oh, I thought I'd turn this thing off. And I start trying to figure out how to get his phone turned off. <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, you just start getting uh, patched notes. Uh, Karina pipes up. Akim, I found you. We got the jammer taken down. Oh, this is excellent news. I'm a couple hours away from your location, but what the hell is that, Akim? Akim! And then nothing. Fucked up my ship. <laughs> Going to the other group, uh, you guys are uh, mid-battle. Uh, you just slashed across this corpse folk, and it took a good hit, and uh, all of a sudden you start getting uh, all of your devices. Same with you, Brasha, uh, that were connected start chirping uh karina the gun uh starts to make a, a humming sound as it's uh connecting and uh from the gun the, the gun is a sonic street sweeper and the way we've worded it worked it is uh Occam's ai uh sean you explain it better sorry i'm <laughs> uh there's a shard of karina's That's right. ai which is primarily on my ship stored within both my helmet and my gun so yeah, this starts powering up and uh, from the emitter of this gun um, starts uh, like the kind of like a whirring, like a, a, a compute, not dial up, but uh, like a powering up, like connecting sort of thing. And suddenly it just stops short. But the rest of all your communications, um, I know Rhapsody has a data pad. I don't know what all goofy shit Rasha has on him, but uh, Rhapsody, your your thing it's buzzing. You had it on silent. I listened back a while ago, but uh, your data pad, you're like you're getting buzz after buzz after mess of uh, messages, and uh, yeah, that happens. Does the uh, it, does the corpse folk start um, buzzing with notifications too? Nope. Uh, believe it or not, no, no. This thing hmm. uh, doesn't have a cell phone. Uh, just has a this is. A, big ass cannon uh kind of just a crappy set of uh leather armor that's uh ripped and shredded but uh yeah you guys are in I, combat I for immersion purposes i need to know what brush's ringtone is oh yeah um now i have to isolate that i hope you're happy no, his ringtone is not the Meow Mix jingle. Thank you very much. Um, oh, he, you know what? He would probably get most of his um, most of his notifications for like sales and everything on a burner phone. So it would probably just be like a the standard. <laughs> oh, the annoying one. Yep. Yeah, and it's probably also in the bag that he uh, handed to Rhapsody. Oh great! So yeah, just buzzing and chirping in this bag of scraps. That's what that's what you're subjected to, Rhapsody. Um, so, uh, Rasha, uh, you're up. Yep. Um, he is going to uh, move action, bluff, faint, faint on this man. Okay. Faint um, him. Yeah, he's gonna faint. Trust me. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> mm. I'm gonna re-roll that. Okay. I'll, I'll roll above a ten for a bluff check. I swear. There we go. Uh, that's gonna be a twenty-six. 
Okay, I'm not even gonna bother look. Yes, you got it. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Uh, he will be flat-footed for everyone then. Okay. Um, and then uh, he is going to. I don't think I can full round no. attack. Can I? No. Okay. Nope. Cool. One shot. Yeah, one shot. Um, uh, bang, bang, then. Or I guess just one. But yes. That, that's going to hit. That's a 24. Okay, yeah. Yeah, roll damage. And uh, this is a projectile weapon? Yes. It is okay. still his rotating pistol. Okay. Uh... Seven. Okay, solid hit. Yeah, you, you, uh, yeah. The, no joke. It it scores a good hit. It goes into its flesh. It kind of reels back uh, from the force of this. Their turn in return. They are going to. Uh, they're going to double attack you, Brasha. You are a pain in the ass. No, no, that's not true. You didn't do as much damage as a uh, Rhapsody. So he is going to uh, uh, take a five foot step back and just fire once. Oh, yeah, the shot goes wide and it explodes on a tree. Addy? Where's my other die? She hasn't had a crit fumble yet. Okay, uh, one hits. Seven points, oh, plus. Okay, so yeah, 10 points of damage. Uh, he is looking bad indeed. Oh, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she got a, yeah, she definitely hit with that flat-footed. Uh, 10 points of damage. Looking real bad. Uh, arrow goes right into uh, where it's holding the uh, the gun, so the the gun kind of hangs limp. And Rhapsody, it's yours to win. Well, we're fist to swing on him. Okay. Do you want to swing twice? Uh, yes. Okay. If the first one doesn't kill him, we got to be ready to hit him the second time. And the smite is still active on him. So. Okay. So a twenty-four against his KAC. Yep. <laughs> Sixteen on the first hit. Okay, first hit is enough to uh, cleave this man right in diagonal halves, and uh, before uh, the body can even fall apart, I want to zip over to the other group. Uh, Occam, you have uh, subdued this thing. You got that message from that. Uh, Francis and Occam, both your devices are still connected, but uh, Karina is uh, you're getting nothing. Nothing from the helmet, nothing at all. It's it's uh, cut off. Oh, no, no, she sharded, so that one... The, the helmet's like, Occam, I was here and I'm lost. I don't know what happened to the main, main signal, but I can't reach the ship at all. It's completely gone. And give me perception check, both of you. Sure. Hmm. Uh, he went, shit, 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 and I rolled a 22. Uh, 29. Okay. 28, 28. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you're seeing this as you see a gout of antifreeze green acid burst forth across the sky. You see it collide with a shape, followed closely by a very large dragon wrapping itself around Occam's starship. Oh no. You see the dragon grab hold of it. You see it go down. You see smoke trailing down. It's coming towards you in the general direction, but it falls short of you 
and it goes down into the forest below. I hope that wasn't it. Did I see this too? You, yeah, you both did. You both see out of the corner of your eye, you saw this dragon blast it with a bit of acid, wrap its wings around, and bring it down to the ground, and you see uh, uh, night birds kind of flutter up uh, from the, uh, the canopy above. Uh, the moment I saw her get hit with acid, uh, I would be screaming into the into the calm. Uh, like, Karina, shoot the lasers! Shoot the fucking lasers! You do see a a burst of laser fire, like the the telt, and just a beam going up, but you don't hear anything back. Well, we better go find your ship. Do you have people? Do you have crewmen on that ship? Yes, I've got a cat thing on there, and Karina's on board. Uh, we need to go, and I'm Let's gonna go. grab Francis's like arm and try and drag him along at double speed. Okay. I don't uh, faster or not. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really think I'll I'll flavor it. I'm I'm loose. Uh, you do help him go faster, but yeah, you get out of the ship, and uh, you're now back on the forest floor. You see, you know, there's birds just flying everywhere. Uh, you hear dragon roar. You hear big ass laser cannon fire in the distance. Oh, I'll I'll tell him like you go on ahead. I'll catch up. I'll get there when I get there. Good luck. Okay, and he'll let go and just. I, I love picturing like the speed difference between a normal thirty foot person and the sixty. Like it's it's almost terrifying how he just boom and he's gone. Um, Occam is running there. Uh, Francis, you're left behind. You're outside. Claire, uh, you know, shrieking, comes up to you and starts conversing with you uh, to the extent yeah. that you're okay. able to. He's very upset. He's got some friends that are in trouble. We should go help him. And we'll start moving through the... It's, it's dark now, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yep. Uh, sun has set. So, yeah, it was kind of like twilight, that, that little bit, uh, but there was just enough glow to be able to catch uh, well, the I... events. I, sus- I suspect that a guy who's got 60 feet of speed but can't see in the dark might move <laughs> about as fast as a guy who's got 30 feet of speed but can. <laughs> but but I'll, I'll just head towards the ship as quickly as I can. Okay, cool. So uh, we're going to uh, leave the heroes. Akim yeah. speed running as quick as he can in the dark. He does have a flashlight, so uh, okay. I, next session I'm, we may play with uh, some tripping uh, mechanics. Uh, <laughs> Francis, you're following behind as best you can. Claire is kind of swir- circling above. Rhapsody, Addy, and Brasha, you have just taken down this thing. You hear immense roars coming from the direction of uh, where Occam went. And Rhapsody, specifically, you would know this because of your extensive studies in uh, archaic, kind of antiquated stuff. You know a dragon roar when you hear it. There you go. We're going to end this episode with uh, just a quick little convo with uh, Jason. Uh, thank you again for uh, playing with us. Um, oh, <laughs> I, 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 I had super fun. Thank you so much for having me. So you, you talked a little bit about what, you, what you've done and what you do for Starfinder. Um, <laughs> the, the, the podcast interview I listened to before in, back in November, uh, you, you had submitted um, an AP. Has that been announced? Uh, I'm not trying to like get secret info, but has no, that's, like... that's all right. Uh, we we talked. It has been announced. It's called Fly Free or Die. 
Oh, that's you. That's right. That's me. So Fly yeah. Through the Dark, the first, the first volume comes out in November. It's um, it's a six volume AP from levels one to to thirteen, uh, and it's kind of a Firefly Han Solo style adventure, uh, where the player characters are, you know, they're not the they're not the superheroes here to rescue the galaxy. They're just trying to pay rent, you know, like they. <laughs> Uh, it's about working people just trying mm-hmm. to make it from day to day, uh, doing jobs with their starship. Um, but they get chased by a, uh, a gang boss, a, a golden league crime boss. And, um, Oh, nice. And they've got, a uh, their old, the old, the company they used to work for, uh, they've got, a uh, their old boss breathing down their necks and there's a, a rival crew, rival starship crew that seems to always be getting up in their grill, and uh, <laughs> and and it and it all kind of culminates with well, the way I described it originally when I was pitching it is is that a lot of APs go from rags to riches. Mm-hmm. But this AP goes rags to riches to ruin to revenge. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Can we play so. that, Don? I suppose we can stop recording until November, and then you can make level one characters. No, you just keep uh, doing your thing. But, but no, but see, we we let them just wrap this up, and by November, okay, that's fair. That's fine. Well, I hope that you like it. Uh, it's it draws a lot of inspiration from a lot of my favorite science fiction, including old school uh, sci-fi games like Traveler. Uh, oh where yeah. Yeah, where you're going from a planet to planet, you know, and trying to sort of buy low and sell high. There's a whole merchant rules subsystem in there. So you know how to, yeah, so you can, all the the economics of maintaining your starship, right? So you've got like how to buy, uh, sell, transport, cargo. Um, and when you do it all with build points, right? So like you buy a cargo for build points then you try and sell it for more. And, um, and you can use build points to improve your ship or... Or do all kinds of other stuff. You know, you can sort of build your business, right? So if you want to buy, like, I want to hire a guy to work in the patch worlds at Epsilon Station and just find me jobs all the time. So whenever I come <laughs> back, I always have a gig, right? Or I want to build, I want to buy a whole nother starship and hire a crew to fly it, and all they do is give me their profit. Like you can, you can do all that shit. That is uh, the next arc. Uh, those that survive <laughs> this arc. Uh, that's uh, that's not uh, not at all going to be like uh, I'm not going to be so brazen like that's what we're doing, but like all of that is going to be very helpful uh, in that next arc of uh, kind of getting it more uh, slice of life kind of stuff. So that is very cool. Yeah, that's exactly it. I kind of because you know I I wanted to write an adventure that we felt like is kind of about us. You know, like it's mm-hmm. about working people, right? It's about people that have like bills to pay. And, um, and I think players, you know, they, they want the underdog, right? Play, mm-hmm. uh, um, um, uh, players love the underdog. So that's what we made. Yeah. Uh, cool. we've got six amazing volumes. I'm about halfway through the development process. I actually just finished most of the development on volume four of that, uh, which is a heist picture. It's like a, like a whole volume of like a big heist. Uh, and then, and then the last two kind of the big revenge sequences are coming up, but, um, but I took a day off today to rest and recuperate so I could play with you. Oh, well, I, uh, <laughs> we, 
I had a blast. Uh, yeah. Little intimidating. I, I will admit I've only been GMing for about two years. So uh, yeah. not the polished stuff that uh, Sean and Tracy oh, give, but I, I give what I got. Listen, don't 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 sell yourself short, man. You run a great game, and everybody runs games differently. There is no one way to do it. Like when 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 I hear people say, "Oh, I'm not that good of a GM," it's back when I was a professor. I was an English professor for a long time, and people would say, "Oh, I'm not a very good writer," or whatever. And I'm like, "Listen, you're a great writer. You just convinced yourself that you're not." <laughs> so so you just keep doing what you're doing, man. You're doing great. Cool. Appreciate it. You kind of uh, started to answer one of the, like there are three questions I ask all of our guests. What yeah. is your favorite science fiction, science fantasy property? That's really hard. Um, Cause there's a lot okay. of stuff I really love. Um, yeah. But I was like 11 years old when star Wars came out and I, and I, I was like, it was that age, right? Like I was the exact target audience for star Wars. And I remember sitting in the theater as that giant Star Destroyer flew overhead for the first time, right? And like the theater is shaking and the chairs are shaking. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, it it's it's amazing. Now that being said, I'll also put in a plug for the Star Trek podcast that I do um, with a couple of my friends, Jim Seals and Aid Smith, um, and we do a, a Star Trek show called Space Force. Um, where we analyze like the films or the latest episodes of Picard or Discovery or whatever. Oh. And I've, I've really come to appreciate the Star Trek universe in a way, in a new way since doing that show. Um, We're going to need a link to that. Yeah. Every time yeah. Picard drops something, Don and I spend forever in chat going, what did you think this meant? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I'm very lucky. I'm helped out there because Jim, um, is very, very knowledgeable on Star Trek, much more so than I. And so he can show me all the Easter eggs. I'm just like, wow, this is like a really cool show. And he's like, yeah, well, <laughs> let me tell you exactly why he's wearing his hat in this scene, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, That's and awesome. Then the, third, the third thing, though, I have to say, though, if we start talking about Star uh, space science fiction stuff that we really love, mm -hmm. I am an old school Babylon 5 fan. Yep. Yes! Do you remember? I, I loved that show. I loved that show so much. So yeah, I I had a little bit of a, a uh, not not hesitation, but when yeah. I found it, I'm a little younger than you and Tracy. Yeah. So yeah, when I found it, I was I was really vibing on the stuff. But then when I get yeah. to Babylon Five, and it was the same with Farscape. I had a the uh the, there was I I can't lock, I can lock down what I didn't love immediately about Farscape that I eventually yeah. fell in love with. But with yeah. Babylon Five, I think it was the makeup. Like, like the, yeah. the aliens aren't just weird foreheads. I don't feel comfortable. This is this is too alien for me. So <laughs> I'm definitely due to finally dive into it. But uh, yeah. that's that's awesome. And uh, I guess my the last kind of question is uh, favorite. Uh, I, I say science fiction, but the, your favorite tool or weapon you would use from science fiction or fantasy? Oh gosh. I mean, it's got to be a tie between the tricorder and the lightsaber, right? Those are like yeah. iconic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but shit, if I could have a transporter, like my life would be <laughs> that. My life would change forever, right? Give me yeah. a transporter. Yeah. yeah, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go with transporter. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, that's about all I have. Uh, any of you? Are there any things I neglected to mention? Or do you have questions? I mean, I don't have to be the only one that gets to I got, I got, I got time, man. Like, hit me. Oh, okay. Or not. 
um, what has it been like working at Paizo? Well, it, at first, I'll tell you what, like, I don't know if any of you are creative people, if you write or draw or make music or, or, or even just Sean writing makes, games. Sean makes third party material for Pathfinder 1E and has started making it for 2E. We have a little yeah. Good. homegrown Good. thing we do. But, but, in, but uh, imposter syndrome is a real thing, right? Like I want to make, uh, I, I'm, I've been playing games since, you know, for, for, well, longer than I care to admit, right? Like since <laughs> I was, since I was 13 and, um, and now I'm, I go to the office, you know, and, and I'm sitting four feet away from Owen Stevens, who's a goddamn living legend. And, yeah. uh, and in the back room back there is like Logan Bonner and Stephen Radney McFarland. And, you know, and I, I, I have a meeting with Eric Mona once a week and I'm like, Jesus, how did I even get here? You know, but, but then, you know, I'll tell you, um, it, it, the, the company's really wonderful at being supportive. I worked for the first year and a half with Judy Bauer, who's the C, the, the managing editor at Paizo. And Judy is just such a fantastic, encouraging boss. I learned so much about being an editor. I was 10 times the editor coming out of that as I was going in. And I remember sitting down um, with Judy once and she was like, okay, well, you know, what do you want to be doing in, in a year? Like, what's your, what's your career goal here? And I'm like, I want to be a developer. And that's not something that you can easily tell your boss because you're an editor and you're working for her, right? And developer is a separate department. But she was like, okay, great. How do we make that happen? Like she is a hundred percent behind me, you know, and making that, making that, that shift happen. And I'm just so grateful for that. Um, we had a couple of developers in Star Chamber. The, we call ourselves the Star Chamber, the people that work on Starfinder. And the, the Star Chamber was losing a couple of people because Chris Sims, who was a wonderful mentor to me, a wonderfully intelligent and wise man who worked on Starfinder Adventure Pass before I, I came on. Um, he developed, for example, the Dawn of Flame path and also the Signal of Screams path. Uh, I, or maybe, he, maybe, maybe Keeley developed that and he just wrote it. Maybe that's what happened. Anyway, um, Sims was leaving because his family was in Austria. And so he was, leaving, he was moving back to his family, which made perfect sense. That's where he needs to be. Um, and Owen had gotten this new job. His wife had gotten this new job offer, uh, which meant he had to leave town. And... Uh, and when I found out that was going to happen, it was going to take several months for this all to happen. I went to uh, Andrea, um, the um, uh, Amanda, Amanda Hammond, who was the managing uh, mm -hmm. developer for Starfinder. And I was like, listen, when Chris leaves, you're going to get my resume on your desk like within an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and and so uh, I, I knew what I wanted, you know, and so I, I wrote a bunch of stuff for Paizo. I wrote Starfinder Adventures and and I. I was building, I wrote like 100,000 words of freelancing in one year while I was still, you know, working full time for them, just so that when that time came and I could make my pitch to, to transfer, I had the, the chops to do it, you know? And so that meant that I, I could send my cover letter. The first sentence of my cover letter was, I warned you this day would come, right? Like, <laughs> I, I warned you I'd be applying for Chris Sims' job, and so now here I am. Uh so now I'm on the team and and um, and quarantine the COVID, you know, has been a real change, of course, in how we do things. We all got sent home to work from home. 
Within one week of the very first fatality, if you remember the very first, I don't know where you all, you all are scattered all over, but here in <laughs> Seattle, the very first uh, at the time, COVID fatality was like six miles from here and uh, in, a, in a suburb here in, in Seattle. And, um, and when that, that happened on a Saturday, that guy died in a, uh, an, a senior's care center. Well, the following Monday, we have these Monday stand-up meetings where everybody gets together in the office and it's usually pretty funny and we all just kind of hang out and we all share what we're doing and there's a lot of laughs. Well, there was no laughs this day, right? Like Eric is serious as a heart attack. And he's like, okay, well, we're all taking this very seriously. I'm meeting with the executive committee in an hour. We're gonna figure out what we're doing to respond to this. And within a week, every single one of us was sent home to work from home, right? Complete shutdown of the company. All the warehouse people all go home. Customer service people all go home. And and this is even before before any of the other state mandates or national mandates or anything have been implemented. Uh, and uh, and we we haven't gone back to the office ever since, right? And and that was in what? Late January, early February? No, it was in March. It was in March. Oh. Well, anyway, so it it's been a challenge. We've had to adapt. We do all of our meetings, you know, by Zoom or or even Discord sometimes. Um, but but our schedule has not changed a single day. In other words, everything we had committed to publishing before the virus hit, we're still publishing at the exact same schedule. Like we have not. We, we have not dropped any product because of the quarantine, which, quite frankly, is, is kind of phenomenal. Like, I kind of can't believe it that we're still <laughs> doing the same work output during the virus. But we are. And uh, and I think we're all we're all a little stressed out by it. Uh, we're trying to do a lot of self-care. Uh you know, Eric is always on the uh, telling us all like, listen, we have a kind of a light schedule this week in terms of what has to get out the door. So look at your sick days, see if you can take a day off to just kind of take care of yourself, you know, get outside, breathe the fresh air. Um, and and uh, we're making it. But mm-hmm. but I think that we're all like the rest of the country. We're all kind of under a lot of stress, you know, long answer to a very short question. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. Uh, Yeah, please, someone besides me talk. (laughs) It sounds like like the the company is is almost like a a family in a way. You know, it it it's got a lot of that. Um, It's the company is about 75 people at Paizo, and that's counting everybody. That's that's counting the warehouse staff, the customer service staff. We cannot work without. Right. Like I. I cannot lavish enough praise and love for uh, the the people in in the warehouse for the my warehouse colleagues, my customer service colleagues. We've got the uh, the executives in the human resources department and all that stuff. Anyway, so yeah, there's about seventy of us, seventy five. Now I don't know all of them as well as I wish I did. About half of that number, about thirty to thirty five, is the creative staff. So that includes art directors. Um, editors, uh, the design team, which is to say the Pathfinder design team, because Starfinder's design team is one guy. That's Joe Bassini, my colleague, distinguished colleague. Um, 
the star chamber is is only about half a dozen people and we've we lose people like um we lost amanda uh she got headhunted by kobold press which makes perfect sense like look if you're we lose people pretty regularly from the from paizo and that's not surprising because other companies steal them out from under us and that's that's just the way it goes like that you we've got amazing people that work here and other companies come up to them and say well listen come work for us um liz um liddell who started off i first met her when she was my senior editor she was she was an editor working for Paizo, but she was actually a contractor. She was living in St. Louis. And after about a year, um, Chris, uh, our um, my senior editor at, at Paizo, he got hired to go run the – be the, the editor, publisher manager over at um, the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate. So he's he's managing like the whole Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter of Mars, Tarzan properties. Uh, which is his life's work, right? Like that's what he's wanted to do that since he was 12. Um, but so then he left. So then Liz became, Liz took his spot. She became full-time. Well, now she, then she moved to design uh, to work on the design team. And now she just got headhunted by wizards to go work as, now she's going to be the editor of Magic the Gathering. Like, oh. uh, edit, edit, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I, I heard that she, yeah, I heard like there was a, there was a big thing about, um, her stepping out and like she said like last week or like yeah pretty quick she was talking about the process of getting on and i know that you talk uh partly because i listen to so many podcasts but you talk yeah. about everyone like and we all i mean varying degrees we all love paizo we love paizo's products yeah. sean has yeah. been busting his ass uh doing these things <laughs> so could you talk a little bit about and i know you've talked about sure. it before but uh just talk about sure. <laughs> the three things to get into Paizo? The three things that got you into Paizo, rather? Well, yeah. So I wrote this essay right after I got right, right after I got the job called How I Got My Gaming Job. Uh, how I got How I Got My Job in Gaming. And you know, nowadays I would maybe change that a little bit. But but the the first thing is is you know you you need to show that you can do the work. And 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 that used to be a lot harder than it. It's still really hard. But as you yourselves in this group know. You can publish on your own, right? Like you can write your own Pathfinder stuff or Starfinder stuff, and you can publish it through drive-through. And you know, it may not even sell that much. It may sell like a hundred copies or or dozen uh, dozens of copies. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you know the process. You've learned the. You've been on the learning curve, and you know what it takes to make a gaming product and all the stages that are involved in that, right? whether it's um, the writing and the development or the editing or the graphic design and layout or the publishing side of it. And, uh, and so just being able to, to publish your own or get a, build your own portfolio of published credits, that helped me. That helped me get an interview. Um, the fact that I had, had written for not, and not, it doesn't even matter that it's for Paizo. Like you just might make gaming stuff, be part of the industry. Publish your own stuff. Paizo does not hire people who know how to who only know how to write Paizo stuff. I had played Pathfinder precisely once before I was hired. <laughs> that that was not a big deal because if you if you know a lot of games, you can learn Pathfinder. You can learn that shit, but you have to. But if you have the the broad depth of knowledge, that helps. And and how do you show that you 
like lots of people love gaming. We all love playing. We all love GMing. We all love gaming. But making role-playing game stuff is a hell of a lot of work. And if you can show that you have done that work, that can help get you to the interview stage. Secondly, and this is not good. I'm not saying this because it's a good thing. It's just the reality of the situation right now is that to work for Paizo, you have to be willing to locate to Seattle. Um, now, this is not true of other role-playing game companies. And if you want to work in gaming, but you don't have to work at Paizo, then I encourage you to look at companies that um, will hire you to work remotely. For example, Amanda Heyman, my managing developer, when she went to Kobo Press like three or four or five months ago, well, that's a fully remote, permanently remote job. So she doesn't have to move. She can stay here in Seattle and she can work full time for Kobo Press remotely. That's great. That's exactly what it should be. But but Paizo is still um, very proprietary. They have a lot of reasons about why they want everybody to work in Seattle. And I'm not here to to get into all those reasons. But yeah, but um, and I don't even know all of them, frankly, but yeah. but it is a pretty hard and fast rule. And what that means is, is that you have to be willing to relocate. And that often means a change in our lifestyle. Like I took, I took a one third pay cut to take this job, right? Uh, and, and I moved from a place like rural Georgia where I could live in a three bedroom house uh, with a big backyard. And now I'm paying more than I paid for my rent there uh, for a two bedroom apartment, right? So, so it, it's a change in lifestyle and you have to decide if it's worth it. And I'm not telling you that it is like, you have to decide individually if you're willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of people don't have to do this. They, they make it, they just freelance all the time or they, they find work with somebody that lets you do remote and that's great. Um, what else? You do not need to know people at Paizo to get a job here. I knew nobody in this company when I got a job here. I had, I had, I knew one guy by somebody else. I had a friend of a friend. I had worked with Jacob Blackman. Jacob Blackman did the art for some projects I wrote uh, for Feigning Goat, and he knew Owen. Uh, but that was it. And Owen didn't put in a good word for me or anything like that. We don't even do that at Paizo. Like when you apply to Paizo, you get a test. Like if you apply to be an editor or a developer or a designer, you get given a test and you've got 72 hours or whatever to do that test. And then all of your identifying marks on it, like your name and your pronouns and all that stuff are all taken away. And it's read anonymously by the people that will be working alongside you. So they don't know who you are. And and that's true of everybody we hire. So you, you, and that's to keep a level playing field. So you can't just get in by being friends with someone. Like it doesn't work like that. Uh, and, um, and then, so I had a unique background in training. I, I, I came from academia. So I was a college professor for years. And, uh, and I did a lot of, you know, I did a lot of writing and writing teach. I taught people writing, right? Like how to write and how to write on time and how to correct their own work under a deadline. And that was all relevant to the editing job that I originally applied for. Uh, 
but nowadays, you know, my, my PhD doesn't really help me at all in, in this job, maybe a little, but not, not a lot. I call it my party trick. It's just the thing that differentiates me from all of the other middle-aged white dudes in this office, um, which, and they did not need another middle-aged white dude. Like they did not need that, but, um, name, but I named Jason as well. Yeah, so exactly. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Precisely. We're, um, but, um, but then and that's all just kind of how I got in. But uh, but then there's a separate story to tell some other day, and I'd love to come back someday uh, to do your show, which I, I like I like I like being here. If um, there's another story to tell about kind of how I transferred, how I got the developer job, how I got my second job in game. <laughs> Although I've told a lot of that on this show already. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's kind of. That's kind of the advice I can give. Um, publish in gaming. Do it by yourself if you can't get any freelancing work. Uh, and uh, and be prepared to relocate. Uh, and, you know, you have to work hard and know your shit. That, that's a fact. Yeah, I don't really have any grand designs as far as uh, I was talking to someone about uh, there's a tweet going around in the, the, the hobby community about uh, yeah. what are your goals? Do you want to make a living? I'm like, ideally yeah oh yeah but yeah. i'm not uh certain gms with uh name recognition i'm i am i am i am who i am uh yeah. so at this point it's having fun with my friends that's right that's growing right. and learning as a performer producer right. etc uh right. but sean he's 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 got quite a few i don't i don't know the exact number sean i'm sorry i'm a bad friend but uh <laughs> you're already doing like he's already doing that part doing yeah. the work good, which is good great so when i saw that uh you you said that i read articles I don't, i'm not a stalker but i'm like i want to know more about this jason guy and it's like it's so i research man it's the right thing yeah, to do You're yeah so i'm like okay don't say anything that he's just gonna parrot back that you already heard but it's it's all it's exactly what needs to be said like yeah you're already doing the thing sean it's just the other shit just God, it sucks. Sean, tell me about your work. Thing, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, babe. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. No, I was going to say, the thing that, that I'm curious about is I noticed over and over and over on yeah. social media, yeah. um, people will freak out a lot. They'll be like, oh, my God, this dev talked to me. Uh, how do you deal with that? Because, like, you're an ordinary person just like everybody else, and people yeah. put you on this pedestal. I hate to I hate to disappoint you, but the truth is I don't get that shit. Like, um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not. If I was Matt Mercer, or I was Jason Bowman, or if I was Eric Mona, or if I was Liz, or if I was you know uh, uh, somebody like that, like that, people would might freak out. But I'm just mm. Jason Tondo. Nobody knows me. Um, so, <laughs> so that that doesn't happen to me. But um, uh, but honestly, I'll tell you, um, it's a great joy to be in the room with fellow players who have like there people ask like what's the best reward what's the what 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 do you love most about being at Paizo or being in the gaming business and i'll tell you there is no question it's very obvious the answer is watching people play something you wrote there is nothing more <laughs> rewarding than that right like hearing people play through dawn of flame uh attack assault on the crucible or hearing people get ready to play Fly Free or Die, and I'm like, oh man, like I, I could, like that's that keeps me warm at night. Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, 
So and because like we're 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 artists, man. We're creators, and all we want to see is people engaging with the work, right? Like, and make it your own. A lot of times, uh, fans, or I shouldn't say gamers, because a lot of people don't like the word fans, but but I mean it in a loving way. Like, pe- people that play our games, they they worry. Like, well, I'm gonna change the adventure. I'm gonna mix it up. You probably don't like that, do you? I love that shit. Are you kidding? Like that's what it's for. Make the game your own. Take the adventure. I there is not a single D and D adventure that I have not completely changed the second it hit my table. Right? And you, you, Don, you know what I'm about. Yeah. You you get the adventure. I remember when I first ran. Uh, oh, I can't believe I forgot the name of it. It was like the second one, um, in the the old uh, the thir- the D and D third edition series level three to five adventure. It was like a dwarven mine. It had this black dragon on the cover. I can't believe I forgot. Oh, Forge of Fury. The Forge of Fury was the name of it. And I and I bought that adventure and I just tore it apart, man. I, I tore out half the encounters. I played, replaced all the monsters. I changed the black dragon at the bottom to a half dragon naga because it was higher level and my players had out-leveled the, out-leveled the dragon by the time they got there. I, I, I did all, I, anyway. And I take that as a huge compliment. Like you just consider these adventures to be toolboxes and the players just make of it whatever they want. And it becomes a living story. So it changes at the table. And every time that group plays it, it's different than every other group that's ever played it. That's that's the way it should be. So uh, there's a great love of, of hear, what, hearing people, what they've done with the adventures, what they've enjoyed and haven't enjoyed. Um, and it's true of all game writers. Like if you hear, you talk to some freelancer and you're like, hey, I use that feat you made. Like it makes their day, man. It makes their day to say, oh, I use that spell that you invented for character operations manual. I'm like, I can die now. Are you kidding? That's fantastic. <laughs> Sean, tell me, about, tell me about your writing. Tell me what you make. Um, mostly uh, uh, when I was writing for first edition, yeah. I mostly made archetypes or archetypes, yep. you want to yep. say it and yep. uh races and now yep. that i'm working on 2e i yep. mostly make ancestries yeah uh, good though the next thing that i'm working on after the my current one which is a uh uh gripply ancestry nice uh, will be firearms oh yeah very good and you also have that entire uh it's kind of like a bcr but it's a um in google docs or whatever where you made all the different monsters. Yeah, I made almost a hundred monsters for Pathfinder One E. That's um, fantastic. Man. You should take I, those monsters, put them all together in a cover, and put them on it, make them a PDF. I intend to do that at some point. It's yeah, a lot because the setup I used, I made a Google Sheet that made building uh, monsters easier. Yeah, but it doesn't look very nice. Ah, so uh, I, I have to port it all over uh, by what? hand. You know, that was something that I really noticed when it came time for second edition Pathfinder. Because um, I, I did some monsters for the original bestiary. Like, I, I did, like, the Manticore and um, the Kraken and, you know, some uh, I don't know, about a dozen monsters. Um, mm-hmm. Is that making monsters for second edition was just so much easier than first. And quite frankly, it was fun. Like, I actually enjoyed making monsters again, which I did not enjoy for first edition Pathfinder at all. Um and uh, uh, but but also you you mentioned that you're doing ancestries for second edition. I love the way second edition does ancestries, 
and I wish we could port that whole system over to Starfinder. I would love to see like species feats that you could take based on what species you're playing. Um, I would call the species the advanced species. Same. Like said, what's that? Go ahead. I said Starfinder on Gen. Just say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that that would be. I'd love to see the ancestry and heritage system hit uh, Starfinder. Yeah. yeah, I'd like that too. It's it's hard now because a lot of this stuff is already kind of coded into the system, right? Like we've got we've we've got a hundred playable races in Starfinder, and they all have the same rules, and and so it'd be very hard for us to add that system now. I don't know if Joe would even. I don't know if we even could. But it's something I would love to see eventually. I, I guess another question, if it's yeah. something to talk about, um, is is there any plans for Starfinder 2? Well, uh, no. Um, the, there's, I, I will say that, I mean, obviously, we've the, the conversation happens, right? Like, it would be stupid of us to not have this conversation. If you're asking us, of course, we ask. But... <laughs> um, but Pathfinder went 10 years between editions. Um, and, and Starfinder is kind of still, we still have a lot of stuff to do, right? I think maybe before, we, before we've um, earned the, 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 before there's really a need for a second edition. Now that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of things we'd love, we'd love to steal, right? Like Pathfinder's three action economy is fantastic and I love playing it. Um, we talked about ancestries already. We talked about, you know, there's a million other things that we could learn from Pathfinder second and maybe even do better than Pathfinder second. A lot of these games, you know, I, we kind of leapfrog each other, like star Starfinder it innovated in a lot of ways, uh, like how we make monsters. Well, if you look at how you make monsters for Pathfinder two, that's very similar to what Starfinder, the two game systems kind of improv, they kind of learn from each other. They kind of leapfrog each other. Um, so there's a lot that we could do, but I don't think we're anywhere near doing it yet. Um, and if and I'll tell you what, if we ever do do a second edition, we'll do a play test for a year, just like we did with Pathfinder second edition. So everybody will know about it. You'll all know because you'll, you'll get a play test document and we'll do a huge play test with the uh, adventures designed to play test the, the rules. Um, it'll be a big, long process that will take years to do. So you'll you'll all know about it when we do a when we do something like that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a well, question for you. We sure. know that uh, we know that uh, we've been told that Heisel's never going to tell us what happened during the gap. That, <laughs> that's left for us to play with and find out. Do you have your own personal ideas of what might have happened? Well, so I have to confess that there actually is like a version of what happened in the gap that the people working on the game all agree happened. Like oh, they're cool. that we have like an in-house our own theories. Yeah, we, we have an in-house explanation for what happened. Um, that's cool. Yeah, but we don't we don't want to ever reveal that or make it official. Right. Um, at least not for the indefinite future. I can't say never, never say never, but, um, but we're not planning on revealing that or making it official. And, and I mean, everybody knows why we had to create the gap in the first place, right? Like yeah. Pathfinder, Pathfinder has a history. 
Well, if we clarified how Pathfinder turned into Starfinder, we would be we would be uh, nailing down a lot of history that the Pathfinder team doesn't want us to nail down, right? <laughs> right. What? We, no, you can't decide what the future of my game is. No, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we had to create this big empty space so that Pathfinder can do their Pathfinder thing. And, you know, I'm not here to tell James Jacobs what to do. I don't think anybody is, right? <laughs> like, James <laughs> right. Jacobs is going to do his thing. Uh, and that's good. He should do his thing. So we created the gap so that we could separate the two games and not cross over into each other's space too much. And um, I just... I yeah. love hearing the different theories that different players yeah. have. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it makes it so much fun to see different games right. that explain it in different ways. You know, I, I really think that there's a lot of room. This, this sort of hells back to what I was talking about earlier when I said that every table kind of makes an adventure into their own, right? They always change the adventure. They, they, they customize it for their table's experience. Well, the gap is the biggest example of that in Starfinder. Like... I've talked to players and they're like, our GM came up with this adventure that like explains the gap. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Like you should do that. Right. Like, yeah. Make, yeah. Like that's exactly. And that way every table has their own version and it links into the, the larger campaign setting, but also is very unique to your table. And, and there's a lot of beauty in that, in those campaign mysteries that we never explain. Oh, I absolutely love it, but I love that y'all have your own little in-house theory, too. We have our in-house theory. <laughs> but I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't think I ever <laughs> want to know. Good. good I'm good. kind of the same. I have I have no interest. Uh, whatever actually happened is way more, not maybe not way more interesting than I'm going to come up with, but mine is just going to be a, like a rip-off of Doctor Who or something. Like, I'm fine just like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, go go go! Spend your life, go spend your entire order, your entire like, your yeah. entire thing is that. That's fine. The journey is as just as important as the destination. I have no interest in exploring it. I like you know shrugging when people say like, "Well, no, what this is different." Like, uh. you know, actually, <laughs> I, I I actually think you're onto something here because I actually think the opposite is true. I think that hmm. whatever explanation Paizo gave to explain the drip, uh, the, the gap mm -hmm. would feel anticlimactic at this stage. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. every, any expert would feel like, oh, kind of sad trombone, want, want, want noise, you know? So let, let's, let's just let everybody speculate. It's more fun that way. I was just, I absolutely love it when there are places in the lore where things are left intentionally vague and yeah. the group at the table gets to fill that in. That, yeah. that just seems so much more meaningful that's right. Than That's right. Having everything written out for you. I mean, there, um, there's, there's, there's uses for both versions, right? Like when, when we explain what something is, that's good. Cause we can build a solid story off of that and it creates plot hooks, but right. something mysterious and unexplained is also a plot hook. And sometimes we, as developers, we go back through old books that we've written and we look for things that have not been explained and we decide, hey, let's tell the story that explains that, right? This mm -hmm. is exactly what happened in the, the current AP, the Devastation arc. That's the high level AP that's coming out right now. Keeley and Rob McCreary were um, thinking about what the next AP would be. And uh, they, they, remind, they remembered, because they both love um, 
uh, or that alien species that that rolls around on the big giant rollerballs. Um, Bantrid. The Bantrids. They both yeah. love Bantrids. And the Bantrids are kind of this mystery in Starfinder. Like, they just kind of show up on this moon, and no one knows where they're from or how they got there. Well, the Devastation arc answers that question. Um, and that's a perfect example of an instance in which the developers went back and said, hey, we wrote this mystery ourselves two years ago. Let's answer it now. Um, and that's fun to do. But mm -hmm. it's also fun to leave them unanswered. That's that other I actually have the first uh, the first book. I bought it yesterday. Good, um, good. Because we we are kind of going to do, be doing an offline game where we're just no no performance, just us yeah. being good. Uh, jackasses in our prime. Uh, <laughs> speaking for myself, uh, yeah. but I was I was reading through it, and uh, in one of the uh, you you and Keely were talking about it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, please tell me what you all think about it." I'm going to do like a full. I'll do like a good review. I really like what they did. I'm, I'm, uh, I love lore. Like I don't have, I'm not encyclopedic by any means, but yeah. all the, 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 the nods, the, uh, the, the, the nudges, the, the people that show up from the other things, the way you weave right. in the other APs yeah. has been great so far. And I've only just done a quick, uh, Ooh, cool picture. Let me read the words around it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so far big damn heroes. Uh, that one looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, Keely, Keely worked really hard to make it so that, because we, we didn't know how you would be coming to this high-level adventure, right? It starts like level 13. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've played Dead Sons. Maybe you played um, uh, Signal of Screams. Maybe you played uh, Dawn of Flame or whatever. And so he wanted to place little seeds in there so that no matter what AP you were coming from, you would feel like this is the sequel to that AP. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, and I'm glad that you like it. I'm glad that you that that it's it, it hit a chord with you. That's good. Yeah. Well, shall I let you guys go? I got to go eat something. Uh, same, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something cold and something hot. Uh, Definitely. Cool. But yeah, uh, thank you so much. And yeah, uh, anytime you want to play something weird, we got uh, once we once we get out of this. Uh, uh hex crawl kind of thing i'm very excited to actually get to explore space with them so it won't f maybe feel as a little <laughs> restrictive hex, hex, between hex. arcs yeah between arcs sean's going to uh use the system to run a metroid based game yes oh nice well yeah. I, i'm an old school gamer so like the hex crawl is like pumping just pure blood into my veins so i oh well good <laughs> no complaints about that shit all right, listen, it was such a pleasure to meet everybody. I had a great time. I will come back anytime. You just send me an invite, okay? Awesome. Will do. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, what's your social media? Dr. Comics on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, team. All right. See have you. a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye.